Last week on Let's Talk Supply Chain, I spoke to Andy over at Lifecycle Revive, Canada's first polypropylene PPE waste recycler. They are diverting tons of waste from our landfills by reclaiming non-contaminated medical waste from Ontario's hospitals and reprocessing it into raw materials to create all kinds of new products, including gowns, making a huge impact environmentally and economically. If you missed Andy on our Thoughts and Coffee a few weeks ago, everybody was interested in what they're doing because they're taking those masks. That's right. The masks that you're seeing on the ground and they are recycling them. They are turning it into circular economy and they are doing right by recycling that PPE. Andy told us all about Lifecycle Revive and what they do. We chatted about circular economies and sustainability. And of course, COVID. I mean, it was a conversation about PPE, right? It was a really great episode and a super important listen, especially if you're considering your own business's sustainability goals and waste disposal strategy. So if you missed it, you can catch up over on letstalksupplychain.com forward slash podcast. It was episode 201, or you can check it out wherever you subscribe and listen to the show. Let's Talk Supply Chain is not your average supply chain podcast. We feature not just the top of the industry, but also diverse voices from within the community, new innovations, and the disruptors making waves in the industry. Don't listen to the same old, same old. Be sparked by new ideas and fresh perspectives only on Let's Talk Supply Chain. E2Open is an end-to-end supply chain software platform helping the largest companies in the world with the most complex supply chains in the world. They are partnering with their customers on collaboration, visibility, network connectivity, and handling disruptions. And they see that the ultimate value lies in people and meeting their needs. That's why they partner with their customers. If you are looking for an end-to-end supply chain solution, check out e2open.com. Hello and welcome back to Let's Talk Supply Chain. It is the first Monday of the month and so you know what that means. But before we get into that, I just want to let you know this is a huge, huge, huge month for Let's Talk Supply Chain. Stay tuned because we've got brand new live stream shows. We've got three of them coming out this month. We've got another couple of them coming out in July. So stay tuned. We're going to be doing Friday at 10 a.m. Eastern. We're going to be doing Thursdays at 12.30 p.m. Eastern. So if you are not following the Let's Talk Supply Chain LinkedIn page, Facebook page, Twitter page, Go and follow now so you don't miss out on any of our new shows. Plus, we've got, we are expanding and I cannot wait to tell you more about that. So make sure you're connected with us so you don't miss any of these upcoming announcements. So today I'm excited to welcome a woman in supply chain who is an expert in spend data classification, supplier normalization and taxonomy customization. This self-confessed mistress of data is helping procurement and data teams across the industry to work more effectively. But who is it? Well, I'll reveal it after our question of the week. So the question of the week was, what are the most important attributes 
attributes of successful leaders. I had a ton of people comment on my personal page over here on the Let's Talk Supply Chain LinkedIn page. Peter weighed in. Great leaders have the ability to tell a story to effectively translate and share a vision, tying it to goals and objectives, and then allowing their team to deliver on that vision. They guide, support, and offer effective, timely feedback, recognize successes, and are open, accepting that failures will occur. Lisa Fenton, patience, along with the ability to listen with an open mind. And Alistair, such an interesting question. For me, the key attribute of a successful leader is always communication. People lead people by building trust and a belief in an idea or a vision. I'm a big fan of Simon Sinek and his view on this space. Leadership requires two things, a vision of the world that does not yet exist and the ability to communicate it. I know over on my personal LinkedIn page, a lot of people said listening and empathy. Empathy was a huge theme with this question of the week and so thankful for everybody who weighed in on the question of the week. We love doing it. We are going to change it up a little bit. I'm going to be asking the question by video. We're also going to be incorporating some polls. So stay tuned because this is going to get more lively and interactive. So now back to today's podcast and the amazing woman in supply chain I have with me today is Susan Walsh. After working in sales and customer account management for big names like Philips and Colgate Palmolive, Susan discovered a passion and talent for data. And having held management positions in various companies, she eventually decided to go it alone. Susan founded the Classification Guru in 2017 and now brings clarity and accuracy to data and procurement, helping teams work more effectively and efficiently by cleaning up their dirty data. Today, Susan will be talking to us about her career so far, her passion for data, how the industry's approach to data has changed over the years, and she'll be sharing her words of advice for all of the up-and-coming women following in her footsteps. Let's hear a little bit about our sponsor because without them, we would not be able to have this Woman in Supply Chain series. Apex Logistics are proud to sponsor Let's Talk Supply Chain's Woman in Supply Chain podcast and blog series. Our leadership team actively works to empower an industry as diverse as our workforce with a focus on inclusion. And we're passionate about promoting the voices of women leaders to drive visibility around their achievements. So welcome to the show, Susan. Thank you. I'm so excited to be and here. And I am so excited to finally have you here. I mean, I've been wanting to interview you for a while because I love your brand. I love what you're doing in data and procurement. And since we know this space is going through so much change and growth right now, it's definitely the perfect time to get you on the show and pick your brain, right? And talk a lot about your journey and how you're a woman in supply chain. And I just love all of that. And you and I have been doing all sorts of things in the last couple of years. And, um, or since we met, I think maybe that was only about a year ago. Um, 
Okay. Right? Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, it's crazy. I know. I know. I'm just happy to see you and have a catch up. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> Me too. And I can't wait because hopefully I'll be able to get out there soon and you and I could go and sh- we can go shopping. Oh, we're going to shop till we drop. <laughs> All right. So let's dive into your journey. Why don't you take me back to the beginning? I mean, you started your career in sales and you worked for some big names um, like Philips and Colgate Palmolive. And it was about 10 years yeah. into your career when you started to focus in on data, right? I mean, so tell us about the journey. How did you come to settle into data? Take us from the beginning up until now. Yeah, so like I'm always really envious of these people who've always known what they've wanted to do or what career choice they've wanted right. because I've never known, ever. And and so, I mean, even I chose my degree, which was in commerce, um, because it was nice and broad. So I thought, yeah, I'll do four years of degree and, and of course I'll know what I want to do at the end of it. And of course I didn't. I really had no idea. And um, I'd worked in a retail uh, chain called Woolworths, which was like, it's kind of like an epic kind of nostalgic. Yes. Kind of like, like Kmart for us. Chain. Yeah. yeah. And um, and so I ended up working as a paint merchandiser as my first job out of uni. And I moved from Scotland down to England with them. And then that didn't work out. And so then I was like really lost. Like I didn't want to do any more driving around and making sure paint pots were all nice. And that, to be honest, like the the salary for like merchandisers was really bad. And living down south, it was so expensive. It just, it wasn't justifiable. Right. So I thought, yeah, I'll try recruitment. That'll be great. Um, and that was one of the most horrific experiences of my life wow. where I was horribly bullied by this woman <gasps> who used to send me down to the basement to make calls. And no. then, you know, it was back in the day when you had the old phones and the light the light would go on when you were on the phone. And if it wasn't on enough, she'd phone down and be like, you're not making enough calls. I mean, it was like, I asked, it's like three months there. It was soul destroying um so then I was like right I'm not doing that I've absolutely been damaged and um Mm -hmm. so I ended up um finally getting into Philips to do telesales and that was quite nice because it wasn't really telesales it was just phoning up some tv retailers and saying do you want some tvs so it was quite nice. nice and then I was there for a couple of years but again I had like I had um appraisals and it was like the feedback I got from my boss was you know say like five was the best where she was like well you'll never get a five because that means you're too good at your job you'll you know the most you'll ever get is a four and it was like you're not really going to help me develop and progress here so I'm not going to get anywhere so as it happened um there was a job going at Colgate which also happened to be right next door in the in on the business park so like I had to kind of sneak in for an interview um and um, ended up working there, started in telesales again, just phoning dental practices and uh, eventually pushed and pushed and pushed because I knew I'd be a great um, account manager for the wholesalers. And like I blew the targets and sales out the water um, in my first nice. year, you know, like everything was up across the board, hundreds of percents. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I really enjoyed it there. And then other parts of the business started to take notice and wanted me to come work for them. 
So I went into national accounts, so dealing with the big retailers and stuff, and I hated it. It wasn't sales anymore. It was like just numbers, numbers game constantly. Right. And and the job wasn't really what they told me it was going to be. Um, And so I, and then I didn't really like where I was. So I thought, well, maybe I'll give it one more shot at another company. So I went to another company and uh, I see Johnson and did better there, but it still just wasn't, I just didn't really enjoy it. And I can't do stuff if I don't enjoy it, if I'm not invested. Right. So I decided um, at the same time I had a problem with my wrist and I had, I couldn't work. So I kind of left there and I was like, right, well, typing and driving is not really going to be on the cards for a while. So what will I do? Um, oh, I'll open a shop. That's what I'll do. Um, so it was before um, internet, retailing and all that kind of stuff. And women's office workwear was changing, you know, from the suits and blouses more to smart casual. But you couldn't really get any nice tops anywhere, pretty dresses. So I decided to open a shop. And to this day, I'll tell you, it's the most beautiful shop I've ever been in. Um, it was perfect. I had some amazing clothes. Oh, I'm sure. And people in Guildford are snobby because it wasn't like a high-end brand. So they didn't come in. Mm-hmm. People would walk by for months before Aww. coming in. It's like scared of the unknown or something. So that kind of lasted about six months. And then it was like, right, mm. I have no money. I can't even afford to go bankrupt because... I don't have enough money to pay to go bankrupt. Um, I really need Mm. a job and I need anything. So I found this ad online for a spend analytics company and started classifying data. And I was like, oh my God, I'm really good at this. And I enjoy it. And for the first time I was like, oh wow, this is great. So, So yeah, what was supposed to be just a kind of get me by job turned into the five years and I grew a team and managed 14 people in the end and it was all all crazy. Um, and then and then they got bought out by a large company and then things changed pretty much overnight. You know, that small agile team just disappeared. You yeah. Know? And, and so I was like, this isn't for me. Um, and you know, I've always, I've always been a bit quirky and a bit like, don't really like being told what to do. So I, I didn't like the restrictions that that had, but yeah, I also, you know, didn't have any connections in procurement or data. I didn't know what kind of job I was actually doing. It just kind of was like, felt like it was specific to that one company. So kind of the only option really for me was to either just find something else and start again or set up my own business and and see if I could offer just the classification part not the dashboards and the analytics but just the cleaning and normalization and cleansing of the data and um yeah it, it was really tough at first because everyone thought it was a great idea but Nobody knew to look for me because there wasn't right. any other services like that out there. So they weren't Googling it or anything. You know, it was just, right. you know, not not on their radar. So, yeah, I've spent yeah. the last few years just, you know, building my presence, I guess. That's awesome. I love that story. And I'm glad you took us through the journey and really talked about why you made the pivots 
why you decided to take the risks that you did. And some of them were because of health challenges. Some of them were because it just didn't fit for you or you got bored, right? It wasn't something that you enjoyed doing anymore. And those are really, really important parts of anybody's journey for other people to hear, right? Because it's like, well, did they follow their heart and just go and do this thing? Did they have the goal? Yeah, I wish someone had told me that. You know, or or did yeah. they have these goals? Like, is this what they actually wanted to do? And then they got there and found out, well, hey, this isn't really for me and had to switch tactics. So I think, I think it's really important to hear all about those things. Um, in somebody's journey. I think as well, maybe not so much now, but this was maybe like 10, 15 years ago. And it was kind of like, once you're in a job, you're supposed to kind of yes. stay in it for a while, at least a good couple mm-hmm. of years. And, you know, normally I know within like a few weeks if it's going to work out. Yeah. Not. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. And, you know, I was, I ended up doing stuff um, in one job, like shopper marketing, like, you know, buying space for shelf wobblers and building dump units you know and I'm like this isn't what this isn't me at all you know so yeah but then you're like I've got I've got to stick it out I can't just I can't just move yeah but the but the one thing I will say is that you tried things to figure out whether you like to do something or whether you didn't like to do something and either way you learned something about yourself and what you wanted to do for your future which is something that I talk about all the time so Tell us about your baby, the classification guru. I mean, you founded it four years ago. Like you said, you kind of started out and nobody really knew how to find you or where to find you. So talk to us a little bit about that. What do you do and how do you yeah, help your customers? It's kind of like a, it's like a toddler now. It's, <laughs> um, it's bizarre. It's, it's so, so bizarre because up until about um, 14 months ago, it was, um, I was having to work, contract work, um, as well as run the business. Then that wasn't working out. So I decided to put everything into the business. And then in the year before COVID, I had like two periods where there was like three months where I had no no clients, no work. I mean, it was really, really, really tough. Um, and and I just, you know, the interest that I was getting from really large global companies, I knew that I had a service that was of use, but it just, there wasn't the work. And I sat with my friend in a coffee shop, as we did back back in those days, and um, was like, you know, I think I'm going to have to get a job. Like, oh, yeah, just was like, this is, I can't just keep, borrowing money from my dad I'm nearly 40 this is ridiculous and um literally within about two weeks of that chat there was one day where like five different jobs came in you know not like massive 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 jobs but five was enough to keep my bills paid for the next few months and you know give me hope and um and you know up until that point it, it was really all about just making my presence known so I exhibit at procurement events. Um, just at the beginning of last year, I started doing podcasts and things and yeah. um, just getting involved with like meeting people on LinkedIn and connecting with them like you and Sarah Scudder and and data people and, and just enhancing my uh, profile, um, chatting to all you guys and having some fun. And 
and it started to pay off really about just a bit before this time last year really you know the work just started coming in and then I got my first really big client and you know that was like amazing I had to take on some contractors to help me do some work and then we got more projects and then more projects and and then more and then those contractors didn't work out so then I got some new ones in January and um and it's it's just mad to think that like nobody knew who I was I didn't yeah. have any connections four years ago and four years later um I people do know who I am now um mm-hmm. I am still the only one that's really doing this as a standalone service and talking about it there's you know there's nobody coming to chase my coattail just yet um because right. they haven't figured out it's actually like you know a really good viable business and mm-hmm. Um, we, yeah, I've ended up writing a book, which is crazy. Awesome. Yes. Yeah. And I'm doing so a TED cool. Talk on Friday. I mean, it's nuts. It's Woo! absolutely nuts. I am. I'm My, just so impressed the, like, by you. It's just, you just got to be keep going. Even when like nothing mm-hmm. is happening, you just have to like keep posting. That's That's the only thing that I just was consistent about last year and the year before was post, 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 post. Because yeah. you just you feel yeah. like nobody sees your posts, but they do. So I, I want to skip a little bit. We're going to go back and talk a little bit about data and visibility. But I want to skip forward yeah. a little bit because you talked a lot about building up your profile, influencer marketing, and regular listeners of the show will know that I've been collaborating recently with Susan Misakunis from uh, top rank to talk about the power of digital marketing in the biz- the B2B space, right? So it's sort of at the top yeah. of mind for me right now. And it seems like you're absolutely smashing that with what you've just said and how you've built your profile. I mean, you have some amazing uh, YouTube content, you have all of your bespoke illustrations and your amazing videos, which bring your brand to life, right? And you're a Thinkers 360 yeah. thought leader. And so obviously you have a strong presence in not only the US, but also the UK, which is where you're from. So is that something that you kind of learned to harness? Like, did you think, yes, this digital strategy is going to be the key for me breaking into the industry? And how important has it been for you for elevating that profile and getting out there as like an influencer in your space? Well, first of all, it's been like instrumental. I couldn't have done it without it. Um, but for me, it it was an accident. It was, I had no choice. I had no money, mm-hmm. no budget. And I needed to um, get noticed as much as possible. And right. so the way to do that was by posting on LinkedIn and connecting with more people and sending them information. And, and I guess, you know, I think I'm also... I'm me and what you see is what you get and I don't pretend to kind of you, you know you get all the versions of me on LinkedIn you know not just the, yeah. the polished professional businesswoman because that's not really me um and I think I'm, I'm offering something a bit different and I, I really didn't expect um it to be so popular um in the UK let alone anywhere else in the world mm-hmm. you know I was like they'll never get my weird sense of humor um and but but it's been amazing and and I kind of 
I, I read what's going on on LinkedIn so I can tell what posts are doing better than others. So, for example, mm-hmm. um, I took a week off and I came back and everything, all my views were down and everything crashed. And, you know, I'm doing all my informative business data posts and, you know, they're, they're ticking along, but not great. Post a picture of a couple of bags of Cheetos and everyone goes mad for that. So I was like, well, that reads, I'm reading the room of what's going on. That's what people are looking right. for right now. They don't really want to talk about necessarily about business. Yeah. So I've always kind of listened, engaged what's going on with my posts. And, and I do have a real range of posts as well. So I have the serious stuff to the absolutely ridiculous stuff. Um, including, I think it's your fault, actually, the whole lip sync thing. <laughs> It was about a year ago when you did a challenge. Was it? You did a challenge, I didn't did. you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, the, it's your fault. The supply chain folks got together and did a lip sync challenge for our second birthday for Let's Talk Supply Chain. Yeah, and then I think it was Mike at Procurement Foundry was like, "We need to get the procurement folks around this." And then you you took it up and like took it on, took it to a whole nother level, which is amazing. <laughs> Yeah, and and now it's got like a whole life of its own. Like Lip Sync Sunday is now a thing. Yeah, yeah. And you know, videos, videos. I think tend to maybe. I'm lucky if I get a thousand or twelve, two thousand views. Maybe those lip sync videos on a Sunday get three, four thousand views. Wow, it's mad. It's absolutely mad. But but people are looking for that for something different. Yeah, they absolutely are. They absolutely are. And I'm glad that you shared that with us because I mean, everybody kind of looks at, you know, thought leadership or upgrading your profile or, you know, really getting out there and using LinkedIn and they're not sure where to start or how to do it. And and you just got started. You know what I mean? You know, I didn't start at this level. I, I started with one post a week yeah. or two posts a yeah. week. And then it was like a post every day after a while. And then it started to be like two posts every day. Yeah. Um, and it, it's a slow build up. You, you know, work with what you're comfortable with. Not everybody wants that level of involvement. Mm-hmm. You know, that's too much for a lot of people. Yeah. So find what's comfortable for you. And also, you know, don't don't do what you think other people want you to do or say or be. Yeah, Just be yourself. Exactly. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. And read the room. So I'm going to get back into data in a little bit. But what has your experience experiences been specifically as a woman in this industry? Like, are there any challenges that you faced? Did you have a mentor, maybe somebody you looked up to to help you along the way? What has that looked like in your journey? I am not the best person to be told what to do. <laughs> so mentors and things don't really, I can't say really that that I've ever had one um I would say that I've never ever felt even growing up that there wasn't anything I couldn't do okay that or or I was restricted because of who who I am I mean my gran um was amazing so she she got married at 39 in the 50s. Wow. So she lived a whole life before she got married and had my dad. Huh. And uh, she died about 20 years ago now. And I just, I wish I'd known her when she was a bit younger so that I could ask her all the questions about where she'd gone and what she'd done. And she was a weaver, you know, she, she like mm-hmm. could weave stuff. And, nice. Um, and, and so... So for me, I was like, well, if she can do that, I can do that. 
you know, so that was that was like a role model for me, you know, whereas my mom was like, when are you going to give me grandbabies? I'm like, you're not getting them. <laughs> um, she's like, you're so mean to me. And I was like, no, I'm going to have um, uh, uh, a career and take over and it's going to be fine. And I'm going to do what I want to do. Um, and so... So that from that point, I, I always felt like there was I could do anything. Um, mm. But then there were times at work where it was very much a boys' club, and they played golf and yeah. football, and you just couldn't get a look in. Um, and so and so those times were times when I really did feel like I I just don't have any control over this, and so you you have to know when to walk away. You know you, you can't always fight it. Sometimes it's better to just yeah. find another direction. Um. Yeah. So so that's fine. And then I moved into like data, which is also very procurement and mail orientated. Um. But you know they've I've never been treated any differently. If awesome. anything, they're a bit more polite around me, but that was about it. I did feel, you know, that, that that kind of, they weren't quite as comfortable when I was in the office as, as if I wasn't there. But um, mm-hmm. I just made myself at home and forced my way, you know, I'm not like, I'm not going to, you know, I'm just going to be me. Um, and little, little things like at events when I've exhibited, you know, a couple of guys have come by and said, is this your stand? I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, is this your business? Yeah, yeah. <gasps> Good for you. Um, which is, you know, you just kind of thank you and and laugh it off. I mean, but... it's encouraging. It's encouraging, but at the same time, it's sometimes feels a little yeah. bit like they're patting you on the head. <laughs> yeah. I think as well, you know, now I think if someone said something I would say something back whereas maybe like in my 20s I would yeah just kind of like oh just let it go whereas now how did you how did how did you find your voice in that area then how did you get more comfortable to sort of like speak up when I found what I really loved and what I was doing and I really had that kind of self-belief and Mm self-confidence then then I was like, you can't take me down. Right. I know I'm good. Whereas I think in my 20s, because I was doing stuff that I didn't necessarily like and probably wasn't that good at, I didn't have that confidence to fight for other stuff. Yeah. And fight for yourself. One of the things yeah. that gets me every time is how we have to wear uncomfortable heels. <laughs> to conferences and trade shows and they get to be in comfortable shoes I mean I'm just saying but I think that if I showed up in Adidas with like you know nice pants that's probably not going to go over very well but I may have to do it I mean when we start going back to conferences I may have to do it because let me tell you I went to a conference in (laughs) Vegas and it's like a mile to walk anywhere or two miles to walk anywhere and you're like walking back yeah. and forth and back and forth into restaurants because there's no point in taking a taxi because it's like right across the street my feet were done like completely yeah. done and I don't think that that's yeah. fair so I am gonna it's say to everybody out there we need to start wearing comfortable shoes I have a solution no matter what I have a solution and it's happening on Friday actually for my what TED is talk it? um flat shoes 
but they're sparkly. They're silver sparkly flat mm, shoes. Nice. See, I have a I have trouble with flat shoes because they um they rub they rub the wrong ways. Like if I don't get the right pair, oh, I get get like pixie ones, and then okay. it's not too bad. Right. I'm gonna have to I'm gonna have to look into that because otherwise I get blisters and sore. Like it's just I would rather honestly I love socks and and sneakers. That's my thing. <laughs> Be you. Yeah. Like surely in supply chain that's acceptable. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. We're gonna we're gonna test out that theory when the, make it make it acceptable. when the conferences come up come uh, come back around. I used to wear flip flops and then just change as soon as I got there. But see, I don't yeah. want to be lugging around shoes either. <laughs> no, it's 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 yeah, it's it's a pain. I remember doing like you know there'd be it'd be like a two-day exhibition behind the stand and standing up and like getting to the hotel room at night and and I literally couldn't feel anything apart from throbbing pain in my feet like and nothing would take it away yes yeah so I may have to pull out the Adidas people I mean I I or maybe I'll just buy some really fancy ones that are yeah get some sparkly ones yeah maybe I'll just don't don't get Madison's like crazy Crocs. They're just like, no, I, you know, no, no, no. Anyways. All right. Let's talk about data. So where has data, uh, where was data before now? Where are we today? And what does it look like into the future? Because you live, work and breathe data. You help companies breathe life into their data and organize their data. I mean, you've even named it a beautiful coat. So tell me about it. Well, for a start, data was rubbish before. Mm-hmm. It's still rubbish now. And if we don't start looking at it in a different way, then it's still going to be rubbish in the future. Um, there's this massive um, misconception that you can buy some off-the-shelf software that will fix all your data problems and you don't have to do anything and it's just wonderful uh, but a lot of the time, the data, the software has to learn from clean data, or you know, it's it will only work on certain types of data. You still need like a a human to to work on it, and and you need someone that knows the data. You can't just give it to you know the intern in the corner. It it's a it's a skilled job, but it's always highly undervalued. And most of the people who are working with data um, are not data people. And they're the people that get the data wrong a lot of the time when it's input at source. So my kind of passion is to speak to those people, the ones that are not the data professionals, the ones that are just trying to do their job. But we need to get them to feel connected to the data in order for them to take more care in getting it right. So I say make sure your data has its coat on. So it has to be consistent. So, you know, if you're using standards and, you know, in shipping, you know, is it carton? Is it C-A-R? Is it C-T-N? Is it C-T? You know, can we all just use the same terminology, please? Yeah. Makes Um, sense, So make sure everyone's working. Yeah. You know, and you know, do you want a space in between the, the letters or or not? Do you want them together? Because that is, can create multiple versions of the same product if you know you've got multiple spellings or spaces or no spaces in between things. So that's really important. And then 
then it has to be organized. So start to categorize your data. So, you know, cartons is probably not enough. So is it corrugated? Is it like pink boxes? Is it blue boxes? Is it um, recyclable or non-recyclable? Start to categorize so that you can quickly pull the information that you need. Um, Just as if Mm -hmm. you... um, like instead of throwing your top in your closet, you know, and then you want to go and get it and it's all creased and it's a mess because it takes you five minutes to find it. You know, if you'd put it on a hanger right. and organized it by color or by style, then you'd be able to just pick it up and get it straight away. Well, that's data's just the same as that. You know, tag it with things so that you can find it. So is it even by country, by region, you know, how many boxes have we used in this warehouse? You know, tag them so that you can then find that really easily hmm. and and that data has to be accurate so make sure you've got the right information that it's fit for purpose and then when you have all those three things you can finally have some trustworthy data right. which means that you can make better business decisions you can do make better plans um, have better forecasts um, even like you know reduce I don't know, damages or uh, incorrect deliveries going out, things like that. You know, if you've got your product dimensions wrong and you think you can fit like 100 more TVs on a, on a truck than, than you actually can, then you're going to have problems. So, yeah, it's all about that. So true. Um, and, and getting people to understand the consequences of what happens when, when they accidentally don't put that information in or put the wrong information in. You know, too many zeros, not mm. enough zeros. All those kinds of things. Um, and I think if we can Amazing. start to look at, yeah, if we can look at data as a as an investment, not a cost, then and start to mm. give a bit of value to the work that people do with data, then I think then we can improve it. But yeah. an automation yeah. can help to a point, but it would be naive to think that it will solve all, all problems. Yeah, well, and they talk about data being the new oil. And being the epicenter of what you need from a technology perspective to get started on that digital transformation. Data is really that starting point. So you can really understand your processes and what's working and what's not working. And the data will be able to tell you that once it's organized. It's more like um, oxygen or air or water than oil. It's, It's more, you can take or leave oil. You can live without it. But data you can't live without you can't do anything now without data yeah no oil and would you they're um comparing data to the new oil as far as value yeah but you know i think it's more valuable than that i think it's as valuable as the air we breathe okay got it it's it's value is never going to go up and down it's always going to go up yeah it's true. It's it's used by everybody. Yeah. It's true. And yeah, I mean, it is a good way to get people starting to think about data. Yeah. Well, and understanding the value of it. You know, when you start comparing yeah. it to the value of oil, people start really understanding it a little bit better and making it a little bit more tangible. So let's, because we were just talking about data, what have you learned about yourself and what does the future hold for you and classification guru? Well, 
I'm capable of so much more than I could have ever imagined. Mm. Um, I don't even read books and I wrote a book and, and I didn't just write a book. I've written an amazing book. I'm so proud nice. of it. Um, you know, I have really started to push myself. You know, I was always just in my comfort zone. But, you know, I've really pushed myself over the last few years. Um, and, yeah, gone through a lot. And, you know, and, and actually, ironically or not, um, so my, my TED Talk is on resilience. So it's, it's say no to no. And there's so many times when I've been thrown a no in my face. No, you can't do this. No, you, you know, and I've just said, no, I'm going to do it. So definitely like stubbornness, but I knew that anyway. Um, definitely more resilient <laughs> than I realized. Awesome. Um, awesome. And, but also learned learning, you know, I need to find a balance in there because it has just been all work, 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 all business, business, business. Right. And I'm trying to sure. now kind of separate Susan a bit more from the classification guru because I've got a team now you know it's not just it's not just all about me anymore yeah yeah so yeah it's yeah so so what advice would you have for girls and women looking to follow in your footsteps first of all just be yourself be comfortable with that own it however that is and don't don't let anyone tell you you can't do something like have that that self-confidence and self-belief like like you know we we all know what we're good at and what we're not at so focus in on your strengths and work on them don't don't worry about the stuff you're not good at develop the stuff you are good at because the rest won't matter you know Mm -hmm. I'm good at a very specific area of data like I'm not so going to suddenly become a data scientist and do mad coding and things that's not what where my skills are my skills are specifically within the classification world um mm-hmm. and you know I'm really confident because I've honed in on that that I'm really confident about that and I, I you know own it I'm like yes you know what I am going to tell people that I'm really good because I am That's so awesome. yeah and just well, don't uh, don't have no fear I love that. I love that. I mean, there's so many similarities between us. And I think there's so many more things that we could talk about. We could probably talk for hours. But you know, that was such an interesting glimpse into you, your journey, and totally inspiring for other women in the industry. And I've absolutely loved that. So thank you so much, Susan, for coming on the show, for being part of the Woman in Supply Chain series. We appreciate you. We love everything that you're doing. And uh, just thank you so much for being a trailblazer. Thank you. Well, I just wanted to say to you on behalf of other women that thank you for everything that you do for for the industry too. You know, you're you're just as much an inspiration as the rest of us. I yeah, appreciate that. It's, it's been a pleasure getting to know you over the last year. Oh, so. thank you. And I feel the exact same way. This episode was produced in collaboration with Border Buddy, the most innovative online customs platform out there. And here is what Graham, the founder of Border Buddy, has to say. More and more companies are looking to expand their reach into global markets, but most don't know where to start or don't have the time to figure it out. 
Border Buddy sees the struggle and has found a way for you to integrate customs into your e-commerce site, allowing you peace of mind when selling to customers in other countries. Your customers will know exactly how much the costs are to import their order from you to their door in real time. And just imagine what that will do for your business and your sales. Visit us and sign up for 10% off your first clearance at borderbuddy.com slash let's talk supply chain. If you would like to hear more from us here at Let's Talk Supply Chain, we have plenty more podcasts for you featuring the best and brightest in the industry. Head over to letstalksupplychain.com forward slash podcast to check out the latest. We also have a category filter. So if you're looking for a company or a solution for a supply chain challenge that you have, head over and use that filter. And remember to come back next week where we'll be talking to where to go an amazing business that offers a nationwide network of warehouses and technology to help streamline fulfillment and create scalable and on-demand solutions. We'll be diving into who, where to go are, what they do, how customer buying habits are driving innovation in the industry, and the future of integrated, flexible, and data-driven supply chains. It promises to be absolutely fascinating, so you do not want to miss that. If you enjoy our podcast and would like to support the show, there's a few ways to do that. Follow us on LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Clubhouse, TikTok. We'd love to see you over there. Subscribe to our newsletter at letstalksupplychain.com or subscribe to our YouTube channel where we're also going to be featuring these episodes in video format. So make sure to go over and subscribe so you don't miss one. Next, visit ships.com and sign up because we're in full beta. So we not only have a marketplace, but we're also solving the challenge that importers and exporters are having when working with their current freight provider. So you can white label our solution and with a click of a button, you can get your forwarders to quote on your ocean and air freight shipments. You can gain reporting and insights as to everything that's happening there as well. So go to ships.com. That's S-H-I-P-Z.com. Reach out to us and we'd love to talk to you about it. You can also find some really cool merch and purchase our exclusive supply chain dictionary in our shop at letstalksupplychain.com forward slash shop. And remember, if you want to be featured on an upcoming episode, Go to Apple Podcasts, rate and review the show, and I'd love to feature you on an upcoming episode. Have a great week, everyone. Thanks for listening. And remember, ship happens.